is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis, and this is America Can We Talk. For tonight's first five, I'm obviously going to start by honoring Patriot today. Patriot Day today. Today is the 15th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center on America. And these were completely unprovoked Islamic extremist attacks on America. And we have, we all watched the Twin Towers crumble, the crash of the Pentagon, and the crash of Flight 93 into a field in Pennsylvania. I love that today around the country we have all sorts of ceremonies honoring the lost and their families and really respecting and honoring the first responders But, you know, when you think about where we are in 2016, what is our job in really honoring the ones who were lost, their family members, and the first responders? It is to honor the idea that our job in America is to protect to the best of our ability, protect against future attacks, is to keep America safe. It requires our vigilance. And to have to be able to do that, we have to have actual honesty about what the problem is we face. We have to talk about it honestly. It was not poor people from the Middle East. It was radical Islam that caused that attack. We also have to have strong leadership to stand up and fight for America's future of liberty to do everything we can do to prevent future attacks, which is why I want to talk in this first five about this. So yesterday I was on the phone with a good friend from New York, I've known her forever, who was saying, well, I always vote Republican, but I'm kind of worried about Donald Trump. I'm not too sure about him and, and being our leader. So this, my friends, in this show where we also learn vocabulary words, is a Rurbeck, R-O-O-R-B-A-C-K, a defamatory falsehood published for political effect. What Hillary Clinton and the media and the left are doing is trying to make America think that somehow Donald Trump is dangerous, that his that he will not conduct foreign policy in a wise way. And I'm here to tell you it's exactly the opposite. I'm going to tell you the reasons in the next few minutes why Hillary Clinton is the single biggest danger to America's future security. She is the most dangerous choice to be president of the United States, the most dangerous choice to be commander in chief. Here, my friends, is the heart of the matter. Here are your talking points. Hillary still thinks that Islam is a religion of peace. She said it again recently that ISIS has nothing to do with Islam, that terrorism and jihad have nothing to do with Islam. She still can't honestly state the problem. She wants, because she won't state it and won't deal with the truth, she is still talking about bringing tens of thousands more Islamic refugees to America. This is despite the murderous wife in the San Bernardino jihad attack in America passed our famous screening, our vetting process, despite the fact that the head of the FBI told Congress he has no way to vet these people, despite the fact that the German security forces have announced that ISIS did indeed infiltrate infiltrate the refugees who made their way into inside Germany, despite the fact that ISIS has told the world in videos they intend to blend in with refugees to gain access to other countries. Hillary Clinton is the most dangerous choice for President of the United States. She cannot conduct America's foreign policy. And since 9-11, we've watched Islamic terror attacks around the world, from Boko Haram in Africa, to Brussels, to Paris, to Nice, and elsewhere. We're watching that the refugee crisis is being used by Islamic 
extremists to bring violence to innocent countries. But Hillary is turning a blind eye to that. A whole second reason Hillary Clinton cannot be the commander in chief of this country is that her top aide is Huma Abedin. Her top aide, always at her side for years now, has extensive connections with the Muslim Brotherhood, a terrorist organization. Her family's very connected. I don't have time in this brief segment to share all those connections. Her family's deeply embedded in the Muslim Brotherhood, and this is Hillary's top advisor. We also, Hillary is completely unqualified to conduct America's national defense because of her conduct in the Clinton Foundation. Over the years, Clinton Foundation has taken money from countries around the world in exchange, pay for play. She is compromised. She is, she has been dealing with our enemies in a way that makes her unable to function as president in a responsible way, making her decisions based on what's best for America. But even more so, more than the Clinton Foundation is the email server scandal. It may be getting to be old news to you, but the email server scandal at its core was that Hillary Clinton was unwilling to use a secured server, putting national security assets at risk. She risked American national security for, at the very least, her convenience in having one device. The real truth is she wanted to keep everyone, including people who file Freedom of Information Act requests, away from her emails. She has so shown utter disdain for the American people, for our security, for the security of our national security forces. And when she discovered that her emails were about to be seized, at one point, she had... A, an assistant used bleach bit, a toxic substance, to destroy all of the emails on her server that she hadn't yet turned over. This is a woman who has shown scorn toward the American people, toward the rule of law. She is, in addition to that, she's completely compromised by the Clinton Foundation things. All these emails, who knows who saw them, who read them, what they said, and who can then blackmail her? Who knows what she has, what she has on those emails? that people can never find can never will never know until she's cornered as president so that's our opening segment thanks very much for tuning in we'll come back after the break and turn and talk to you about the um iranian deal and north korean nukes don't go away america And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgiatis. Okay. <laughs> We're fooling around with that music a little bit here tonight. I really wanted to, uh, I guess I'm still going, right? Okay. We're uh, <laughs> You know what? Uh, welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie Georgiatis. I was talking that first first five. You know, it's the shortest segment we get uh, on the show. It's uh, just five minutes. And I was trying to make one point, and maybe I was trying to jam in too much because I just really want to make this point clear again. You are going to hear from now until Election Day from the media, from at Washington Post and New York Times and ABC and CBS and NBC and MSNBC, all of the left-wing echo chamber media, you're going to hear a, don't you think Donald Trump is kind of dangerous? Don't you think he's dangerous? You're going to hear this over and over and over. 
And the reason they're doing that is because it's the one thing they think they can perhaps alarm you about because people are very alarmed right now about security in the world. They're alarmed about radical Islam. They're alarmed about what they watch happening in Europe. And Hillary is running these commercials claiming a steady hand. Let me just tell you a couple of things that her steady hand got us into. I mentioned Benghazi before the break. You know, Benghazi... It was not just disastrous because we lost those four Americans, which was disastrous by itself and completely in Hillary Clinton's lap and something the media just, you know, they're treating it on, move on, we're done talking about this. It was disastrous because we were in a position in Benghazi where we had decided on Hillary's impetus, Hillary's idea to take out the leader, Gaddafi, out of Libya when there's no reason to do that, created an unsettled portion of the world where ISIS just moved in and said, hey, we're here. And, and Libya is a mess. It's a mess. And this is in Hillary's watch. This is Hillary's brilliance. And so I just, you know, and I want to mention a couple other things about Hillary. I just made brief mention of this Huma Abedin, but you just got to really sink your teeth a little bit into the reality of this idea that this is of all the potential brilliant people Hillary could have around her, all the experts who would love to work on Democrat policy. This is the woman she keeps as her, it's her, like it's her right arm, like it's her right hand person. And this woman is intricately involved, intricately settled into the Muslim Brotherhood connections in this world. She is sympathetic to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is by itself an astonishingly uh, evil organization. I mean, it's been declared a terrorist organization uh, in many countries in the world. We're still fighting about that here in America. But this is just, you know, you think about you, you know, you can judge people in part by who they surround themselves with, who they choose to ally with. This is what she, she chose to do. But I want to turn this segment and just talk a little bit about how this national security issue on 9-11 is, you know, remembering the date of 9-11, the attack and all that happened. What we ought to be thinking about is are we doing everything we can moving forward to protect ourselves? And so I want to talk a bit about what this current administration, President Obama, did in the last eight years, which Hillary Clinton has been right there, thumbs up, cheering him on, clapping him on, you know, clapping, saying he's doing the right thing. One of the really big egregious things that can barely get enough attention is the fact that just we've discovered just in January of this year, this year, President Obama sent to start with, $400 million in cash, or as they say, in small unmarked bills. But he sent money secretly over to Iran, and then later added to that stash of cash, sent to Iran, $1.3 billion, with a B, dollars. And he says, he's been explaining since it was uncovered, you know, he says it wasn't a ransom, even though the $400 million just intersected perfectly in the timing with the Iranian release of our hostages. But on top of that, what President Obama sent over to them was a settlement on a deal that was that was before the Hague. And we're talking like back in um, back from the Shah of Iran. The Shah of Iran was still around 1979. This is a an unsettled dispute with Iran. There was no judgment against America. America had counterclaims against this lawsuit by Iran. Essentially, I think paid us for uh, weapons or whatever. And we didn't. We, and the deal went south, and so we didn't. So they claim we owe them the money. But I'm going to just say this is where we get to the point, uh, kind of a core. What kind of a person are you, President Obama? And I, I know that going back to the Nazis makes people mad, but just picture in the middle of if we knew the Holocaust was happening, 
if we knew what they were doing, even if we honest to goodness owed Germany a billion dollars or $10 billion, I'm going to tell you, America knew better than to send it. We knew better. We would not send an enemy money. And in Iran, we've gotten this dopey impression from President Obama and his ilk that somehow we're making a good relationship with Iran. We're, we've got, got this deal going, man, nuclear deal. We're making friends. We've got to come clean, come square. Iran is laughing at us. Iran is the number one exporter of terrorism in the world. Every Middle Eastern expert knows this. No one suggests giving them money because they, ex- they use it to pay terrorists to kill people. This is what Iran does with their money. So we sent them now a total $1.7 billion. They fund Hamas. They fund Hezbollah. And they engage in expansionist Islamic you know, conduct all over the Middle East. And we sent them $1.7 billion. This is kind of like someone said, well, I read the contract. It seems the contract requires. You have to be smarter than that. You cannot, as an American government, decide to send money in that amount when you know how they use it. And on top of that, the Iranian deal, which is now, you know, we, we made this Iranian deal where President Obama claimed to America, hey, don't worry, you know, we've, we've really made a great deal here and Iran's never going to have nuclear weapons uh, because of this deal, or at least we're going to put off for, by 10 years when they can get weapons. I want to just go back to where we are right now with North Korea. You probably read in the news this week that North Korea um, uh, detonated a, um, I'm going to get you the exact what they did, the fifth time they did a nuclear test. That is the fifth time they did this, and this was uh this is just early, just this past weekend, and they um, this this nuclear test. They did nuclear warhead test in North Korea. Uh, number one, these are prohibited by the United Nations. This is the second time North Korea has done this. The fifth time overall, second time this year, fifth time overall, and North Korea is flexing its nuclear muscles and essentially saying that they have uh, they've done the biggest nuclear test ever. It was successful. They're telling the world we're going to be a nuclear power. Let us back up to 1994, when a previous Clinton was president, negotiated a deal with North Korea, in which he assured us, and here are Bill Clinton's words, 1994, this is a good deal for the U.S. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. South Korea and our allies will be better protected. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. What we have, honestly, so, so okay, that's what President Clinton said in 1994, and lo and behold, the whole agreement fell apart in 2002 when the CIA discovered that North Korea was secretly enriching uranium for further weapons production. They, the country, which carried the title of virtually being the world's largest prison, is, is thought of as a prison at such an evil place to be. Uh, they not only kept the nuclear weapons they already had that they weren't supposed to do, and, and then they just built more. And I'm getting at this idea that you can't deal with the crazy, evil leaders in this world as though they're rational. So now North Korea detonated their fifth nuclear uh, test just this past weekend. They're bragging about it, talking about how they're going to really be the, the nuclear power you know, uh, coming forward. And, and they're actually, it's a really interesting thing that um, we are even talking about North Korea at this time because there was a, uh, an effort, or we're, it's amazing that North Korea gets away with what it's doing. America has been part of and been considering working on with South Korea 
um, building a thing they're calling THAAD, THAAD, Terminal High Altitude Area Defense. Essentially, America's trying to help South Korea build defense systems. And North Korea is complaining, saying, well, you can't have defense systems. No, no one gets defense systems. We, we tell you, this, so, this is a rogue power. This is a crazy rogue power, North Korea. And they are violating I mean, the, the, the deal that President Clinton struck was a joke. And we're soon going to be learning that the Iranian deal is a joke. And in fact, imagine this. We negotiate this deal with Iran where we're talking about they have to cut back and limit. They can't do this. They can't do that. And then we send, send them enough money to buy a nuclear weapon or more than one. I mean, just it is just the most irresponsible behavior by a president. And it's, it's actually, I think the shipping of the money to Iran by President Obama was something with a responsible Congress. You might even consider it treasonous. Sending the world's most evil terror exporting country cold hard cash and saying, but don't worry, they promise they're not going to develop nuclear weapons. I mean, so talk about what we need to do in terms of our foreign policy. Hillary Clinton supported the Iranian deal. She's made no complaints about the payment of $1.7 billion to Iran. Hillary Clinton has the same poor thinking her husband exhibited about North Korea, the same poor thinking President Obama has. They just don't really want to get tough with the enemies in this world. And she's the one, folks, again, who is the risk she is the dangerous choice for president of this country. I, and I just can tell you, you're going to hear it over and over that, that she's not, but she is. Okay, folks, we come back. We have a great guest coming up, Congressman Pete Hoekstra. You'll love it. He told me America. <laughs> well, I'm place on me. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. This is Debbie George Addis. I'm so glad you've joined us tonight. And we have on the line a very special guest, Congressman Pete Hoekstra. Hello, sir. Hello, Debbie. I, I'm doing just fine tonight. Good to be with you. <laughs> so glad you're here. You know, we, um, I, always think I'll have a chance in the previous segment to do a great introduction. So I want to just tell our listeners for a moment a little bit about you before we jump in. You're a congressman from Michigan, the second district from 1993 to 2011, but really significantly on this Patriot Day, on this 15th anniversary of a attacks of 9-11. You were the chair of the House Intelligence Committee from September, uh, we were on the committee the whole time from September 2004 to 2011. And now you're still working in the security arena um, at the in the investigative project on terrorism. So thank you for all of your service to America and defending our precious country. Well, thank you. That's very kind. It's been an honor to uh, serve in Congress. It was an honor to be on the uh, Intelligence Committee and, and help develop the strategies, hopefully, that will enable uh, America to stay safe. Well, speaking of that, I want to play a quick clip by George W. and then ask a few questions. Here we go. I can hear you! I can hear you! The rest of the world hears you! And the people... Well, here all of us soon. 
You know, that is just almost iconic. That was on September 4th of 2001, uh, September uh, 14th of 2001 when President Bush did that. So uh, I just want to ask you, Congressman Hoekler, so we look at at where we are today. We're 15 years later. How well are we doing at uh, keeping America safe and, and fulfilling what George Bush said, that the people who did this need to hear from us? Well, it's really disappointing, Debbie. Fifteen years later, on this, on this you know anniversary, we recognize that America has not effectively uh, developed a strategy to confront and defeat the threat from radical Islam. You know, they in 2001, roughly 2,500 people per year. Now, 2001, there were more, but between 2001 and 2007 roughly 2,500 people per year lost their lives as a result of the threat and the actions of radical Islam. Uh, and, excuse me, in 2015, uh, that number has now risen to 30, 000, almost 30,000 people per year. Uh, we have failed states in the Middle East of Iraq, Syria, Yemen. We also have the failed state of Libya uh, in northern Africa. We have the failed state of Afghanistan. And these are all places where... You know, these radical jihadists where they can plan, prepare, and train uh, to carry out additional attacks uh, against the West. And then finally, as a country, we're, we're very, very divided. Uh, you know, we don't have a consensus. After 9-11-2001, uh, for a period of time, we were very, very united as a country. There weren't Republicans. There weren't Democrats. Uh, we were all Americans. And today, you know, we are divided. And uh, you know, I'm hoping that as we move forward, we can come together again to confront what is what is really an evil and a deadly threat out there. You know, I love that you point out the issue of unity because there was a lot of online discussion. All the pundits were going on about today about you know why are we so why aren't we more united? And remember how it all felt in the days following the September 11th attacks. And you know, I think a big part of it is a lot of Americans they don't want they love the idea of somehow having security, but not really being honest with themselves about what the threat is. And we are, they have leaders in Washington and the American left who just will constantly try to say that Islam isn't really a problem. It's not Islam, it's something else. And so we don't even identify the problem. And I, I think that if we can't do that, we, we can't, it, it hurts us in being able to solve it. Well, and I think, uh, you know, it's not only on the left, it's, it's conservatives uh, as well. And you know, that have been unable to clearly articulate what the threat is. And, you know, I'm working on the Trump campaign, and, and one of the things that, that we've committed to that on, on this September 11th, this 15th anniversary, uh, we're not going to talk about partisan politics. So we're going to take at least one day out of the campaign uh, to reflect and, and talk about the, the hope uh, that we can have unity. And, sure, we can address the threat. It is a real threat, and we can address the fact that, you know, we haven't been successful uh, in fighting this, but, you know, that at least on this day of remembrance, it, it is a, you know, we dedicate this day to not only the people that died on 9-11, but also to the uh, the men and women in our armed services uh, the, and also the first responders uh, who over the years since then uh, have paid a, you know, a great sacrifice, many being killed in action, uh, and others who, uh, who were maimed. And so, uh, today is a remembrance and a memorial to, to all of those, uh, all of those individuals. And, you know, the last 58 days of the campaign, uh, you know, begin again tomorrow where we'll talk about, uh, you know, 
the different visions that the candidates have for for bringing security and ultimately defeating this threat. I love that. And I do, you know, this is a it's a very tough day for America. And I actually am glad that we try to step back from the heated politics on a day like today and just really, and, you know, I, I said in the start of the show, I think we need to remember, we need to honor, uh, remember the fallen, we need to honor their families, we need to reappreciate our first responders and all that they do every day. Um, but we have to, as a country, too, have this feeling like we have a plan here, we have a strategy to do something to to move us forward. And I think that, um, I, 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 anyway, I think it's, it's a very, very right. challenging thing for people. So I want to ask you something, though, on your, uh, or I'll jump around. You said, and I was going to bring up with you a little later, but let's just talk about it now. You uh, indicated that you have joined the Donald Trump campaign on the Michigan team. So what is your answer to the Hillary uh, supporters who say that Donald Trump isn't ready to lead uh, in terms of fighting ISIS or fighting our national defense because he doesn't have political experience? No, I, you know, I, I beat a 26-year incumbent when I first ran for Congress back in 1992. I beat the chairman of the National Republican Campaign Committee. Uh, I'd been an executive at a Fortune 500 company uh, for a period of time before that. And I find that the leadership skills that people bring from the private sector uh, are very transferable into what you find uh, in politics. And for Donald Trump being the head of a, you know, a conglomerate of businesses that are a multi-billion dollar business He's qualified uh, to be president. I've been in meetings with Mr. Trump, and, you know, he's demonstrated the kind of qualities that you would like to see uh, in a leader and the kind of leader that ultimately we're going to need to bring America together and, and develop a strategy. You know, he, he listened. He asked constructive questions. He threw ideas out there, uh, potential directions, and, you know, got feedback and modified uh, his views and said where he needed more information uh, and those kinds of things. So, no, the, uh, you know, leaders are leaders, and leaders leadership skills can be transferred uh, from one domain to another domain. Uh, and sometimes it may be beneficial to have a fresh perspective on some very, very persistent problems and, and not have all the baggage that uh, you may have from from years of, uh, you know, having been in a certain business and that it, it's time you know, to have fresh eyes on some very persistent problems. I love that answer. And I do, I, you use the word um, bringing the uh, qualities of leadership. I also think that your values just, you can have the best, uh, the longest resume and shows you different jobs you've held like Hillary does, but that, that, that kind of uh, American seeing America's strength as a value that you're going to stand for and fight for and seeing America does have an exceptional place in the world needs to be a leader in the world. That's a, that's a, that's a values thing that I, I, I think people are yearning for that, that is really was kind of wrapped up in what Don Trump's uh, campaign slow, make America great again. And how to feel like, yeah, we're a good country. We want to hear someone who believes that. Yeah. I mean, the, the most important qualities of, of a leadership are, uh, and, and a leader, at least my experience, and I worked for one of America's most admired companies, and you know they they drilled this into those of us who were on a management track to assume leadership. Um, and sure, you needed the technical skills, whether you were in the finance area or whether you were in the marketing area, uh, and those types of things. But the most important thing uh, that they you know that they drilled in us, you have to take uh, a set of of values and qualities. 
uh, and those are the things that are foundational for you. Uh, and like, you know, whoever the next president is going to be, it's, it's going to be about qualities. And, you know, they're going to have, they're going to still have to learn about how, how you fix social security, how you fix this, uh, war against radical Islam. Uh, you know, the, the crisis in the inner cities, the, uh, you know, improved education and those types of things. Those are all things that they're going to have expert values or experts on to help them work through that. But the values and the qualities that they bring to the office are going to be absolutely critical. We're speaking tonight. I'm so grateful we're speaking tonight with Congressman Pete Hoekstra, former congressman, and he is now the Shillman Senior Fellow of the Investigative Project on Terrorism. When we come back from our break, I want to talk with you about a Newsfront article that you authored earlier in the year, co-authored earlier in the year, about Brussels and the politically correct policies that got Brussels in trouble, and also about whether Hillary Clinton is a tiny bit compromised in her ability to lead our country. Uh, so after the break, don't go away, and we're going to talk a little bit more about, really, about this president presidential cycle 2016 and how we how we choose a leader to bring us through the next four years come right back and welcome back to america can we talk we have on the line with us tonight Former Congressman Pete Hoekstra, who is just a um, fount of knowledge on many things related to America's national security. He was the chair of the House Intelligence Committee from September in September 2004 till January 2007, remained on the committee through January 2011. He's also recently signed on with the uh, Donald Trump campaign in Michigan. And actually, I know I said I wanted to talk about that article you wrote, which I did really like. I'll tell our listeners I will post it. But I think I'd rather actually turn, if you don't mind, to talking about Donald Trump's um, military speech he gave. Uh, I'm, I just, I, honestly, it just warmed my heart, made me smile. Donald Trump gave a speech uh, recently in which he talked about how he would handle the military uh, differently in the directions he would take it. And I wonder if you want to share some of that with our listeners. Yeah, remember, we're, we're not going to delve into a whole lot of partisan politics, uh, again, in honor of the folks, uh, you know, who, who died uh, and have paid the price for the process that we're going to go through over the next 58 days. Uh, but, you know, I think what Donald Trump has done and uh, hopefully what Hillary Clinton will do is that over the next 57 days, uh, we will talk about the ideas about how to bring uh, America back, you know, how to have a strong economy and how to have uh, a strong military. And, you know, Donald Trump has laid out a vision for that, which includes uh, re you know, very much focused on rebuilding uh, our military. You know, when I was on the Intelligence Committee and in Congress after 2001, you know, I traveled overseas. I was in Iraq, uh, you know, 10 different times, uh, probably for a total of, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 days. I traveled to Afghanistan. Uh, and, you know, and we've been in this war now for 15 years. Uh, but we've taken down the number of uh, active duty military. We've taken down the number of uh you know, uh, planes and ships and all of those types of things. And, you know, what, what Donald Trump has outlined is uh, he's outlined what will be a significant reinvestment uh, into our military. You know, I'll, I'll hearing back in, you know, those first days in Iraq and as we went through 2003, 4, and 5, one of the things that we saw was a tremendous number uh, of National Guard folks, our Army Reserves who were called away from, from their families who were called into active duty, some of them on, on multiple tours. 
Um, and back then already, you could see that there were real strains on, on our military because of, you know, having to rely so quickly on, on our Army Reserves and, and the National Guard and to recognize that, you know, our numbers are now even lower than what they were then. It's so, you know, Mr. Trump has outlined a, a plan to reinvest, to grow active duty military so that we can not only confront the challenges that we have from, you know, the threat from radical Islam, but also the continuing emerging threats from a resurgent Russia, uh, what we see in China uh, and in Asia. And so, you know, as uh, as we remember people today on, on 9-11, you know, let's hope that over the next uh, over the next few weeks till we reach uh, Election Day on November 8th, that uh, people will have, you know, the vision of Donald Trump, and they'll have the opportunity to compare it to the vision that Hillary Clinton is laying out, and that they'll go to the polls and they'll make an informed decision. Absolutely. And I do think um, I, uh, many things in the past several weeks have just seemed outstanding about Don Trump's campaign. One one being, I thought, you know, I think there's an effort. I know we're not going deeply into partisan politics, but there's an effort to uh, by some to paint him as not ready. And I just thought it was very powerful, especially uh, people trying to claim there's a problem with respect to handling national security and our, our, our armed forces, that the, that Don Trump was the recipient of a letter, an open letter from military leaders. There are 88, and I actually printed out the list. I'm not going to read them all, of course, but I mean, there are four generals, nine lieutenant generals, five vice admirals. These are serious, substantive American uh, patriots, American warriors. It goes on, I'm 88 of them. There's major, 26 major generals. I just think that speaks volumes about the confidence he must have have um, instilled in them that they would come forward publicly and say, yep, this, this guy is ready. We'd like him to lead. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that as we take a look at uh, the two major party candidates, they both have extensive resumes. They have, uh, you know, they have long track records, whether it's in the private sector uh, or the government uh, sector. Uh, it's now the responsibility of, of those two candidates to lay out how their background and training has equipped them to lead America beginning on January 20, 2017. And it's the responsibility of the American people to take a look at those records, uh, to take a look at what they've accomplished, both their successes uh, and their shortcomings. Neither one of these candidates is, is perfect, and that's okay. I mean, I worked in the business world. I worked in politics. Uh, if everything you did was right, the basic one thing that you can assume is that you probably didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> there you go. You know, leaders make mistakes uh, because they take risks, they make judgment, and I'll never. I don't think you can find a leader. Uh, you know, you can. You can't find a leader that has never made a mistake. And what the the, the true test here is whether they've learned from those mistakes and whether they can apply those lessons to the challenges that we face as a country today. I love that. And speaking of leaders, you served in the United States Congress for quite a long time. So you must have served at the same time as uh, now Governor Mike Pence, not Vice Presidential Candidate Mike Pence served in Congress. You all served together, right? Uh, absolutely. The first year that Mike Pence was there and we were uh, we were debating No Child Left Behind, and that was a, a you know, signature program of uh, George Bush, and I was fighting it from day one. Uh, and Mike Pence went to the floor, and he identified himself as one of Hookstra's heroes, one of those few people uh, who were brave enough to take on uh, their the president from their party 
uh, and say, you know, we think this is really a bad idea. And so, uh, yeah, I know Mike. Mike's, Mike's, Mike's a personal friend. He's a quality guy. I knew him in Congress, and obviously uh, we've continued uh, the relationship as he's governor of the neighboring state of Indiana. I actually was so struck by him. I actually got to meet him a couple of years ago. He came down to Texas. I think he's actually might have been thinking about running for president, but got to be in a meeting with him. And he just was so uh, warm. He paid attention, eye contact, listen, answer exactly what you ask. I just he struck me as a man of great character. And I just think I just love the picture of him working along with Donald Trump as vice president and president. So um, so so far as you know, they're working really well together, right? Uh, that's right. And, you know, isn't, it, isn't America a great place where, you know, a while back, uh, you know, yeah, Mike, Mike Pence was thinking about running for president. But, you know, where he had 16, 17, 18 uh, qualified candidates on the Republican side. You had talented people uh, whose views I don't necessarily agree with. But, you know, we had, you know, 20, 22 people uh, very qualified uh, with their own resumes and their own views of America who had the opportunity to, to participate through the primary process and make their case to the American people, and the American people uh, went through the process and what they selected. And, you know, the, the best way to honor those uh, who have fought and died, sacrificed their families, uh, is by, uh, you know, what we're going to do over the next, uh, over the next 58 days. And, you know, to, to, and then hopefully after that, the next president will put forward an agenda and a real effort uh, to bring America together, because we've got some real challenges. We've got some real problems out there. Uh, and let's, let's see if we can't agree on a strategy uh, and, and be united to actually get some things done. I love that you've come back to the idea of unity because, you know, I always uh, talk about in the show a lot how if you just identify people with an R next to name or D next to name or conservative or liberal, then you just are creating camps or the whole hyphenated America approach where you just have people based on their background. And really the most unifying idea uh, is the idea of America, is, is what the country is, what it came from, why it is the way, why it's as strong and the strongest and freest and most prosperous is the idea of America. And I sometimes hear when Donald Trump is speaking, you know, he uh, he doesn't quote the Constitution a lot, but he's he has that feel. You get that feel listening to him that he knows America's heart he, that, and that he wants that that greatness of America that is, comes not because of ethnicity or race, but simply because of the ideas of America. And I, I think he can be really inspiring along those lines. Well, I, I think he can. And I think that every candidate of, you know, those 20 some Candidates who are, they all have an aspiration to make America great and to make America a great place uh, for everybody who calls America home. Uh, and, you know, the great thing is we're still, we're still great, uh, but we've got some issues that need to be dealt with. But, you know, you're still seeing people from all over the world doing, you know, lots of things to try to get to America. You know, as they're fleeing the Middle East, yes, they're going to Europe. Because uh, Europe has many of the same ideals and values that we have, uh, but you know you don't see them going to other parts of the world. They're coming. They're going to Europe, but they want to come to the United States uh, because that's what they, you know, that's what they see that they want uh, the place that they want to call home. What Reagan called that shining city on the hill. Uh, you know, in 1956, my parents uh, left Europe and they took three little kids with them. Uh, you know, to the United States of America. They'd been liberated by American Canadian troops, uh, you know, during, <laughs> during World War II uh, in the Netherlands. And in 1956, America welcomed them. And, 
you know, they came here and, uh, you know, America, you know, America expected us to become Americans and we did. And this is, you know, this is now home. And, uh, but, you know, it's still the shining city on the hill and we need to make sure that it stays that way. Well said. We're speaking tonight with Congressman Pete Hoekstra, former congressman from Michigan, and he is just a uh, fount of knowledge about national security. And he's recently uh, signed on with the Donald Trump campaign and the Michigan leadership team. And I just think you, your presence on that team has got to be a blessing to Donald Trump. And I'm grateful you're there uh, sharing with him all you've learned and your experience as a congressman. And you're also, I meant to give you just a minute if you want to mention, you are a, the Shillman Senior Fellow with the Investigative Project in Terrorism. And we have like one minute now, no, 45 right. seconds. Quick, you could tell us what that is? <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, it's the, uh, you know, the Investigative Project on Terrorism, you know, founded by Steve Emerson in the mid-90s. Steve Emerson was a prophet. He predicted uh, and saw the threat that America faced from radical Islam, uh, and has been working heroically in that effort for the last 20 years, not only identifying the threat, but also educating Americans on how we can uh, confront and ultimately defeat that threat. So it's an honor to be there and an honor to be there with Steve. Pete Hoekstra, thank you so much for tuning thank in. Great you. talking with you. Thank you so much. Okay, folks, we are uh, just about out of time in this segment. I really appreciate having that call with Pete Hoekstra. We come back after the break. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more um, about the, uh, is this, what is the Flight 9, is this a Flight 93 election? That's our question. Come back after the break. Number one source for premium talk radio. Time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. It's our second hour roundtable. And joining me tonight are Dorinda Randall and Janie McGarry. And, you know, we always do a uh, roundtable rapid fire question. And this one I wanted to set the table for briefly. So there was a posting at the uh, Claremont.org website, and Claremont Institute is a very conservative place. And it was called the Flight 93 election. And Flight 93, referring to on September 11th, 15 years ago, where the passengers on that Flight 93, they had, because they've been using their cell phones, they had already been, um, you know, the terrorists had taken over the plane. They've been talking to people they already knew. The trade towers were hit. The Pentagon was hit. They realized they were about to meet their death and crashing into, we'll never know, it was the Capitol or the White House. But anyway, so they decided to storm the, the cockpit. And, you know, they obviously 
probably thought they're going to die either way, but at least had some chance of stopping the plane from hitting the White House or the Capitol. So the brave people on Flight 93 stormed the cockpit, and as you know, it crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. So this Flight 93 analogy is basically this guy, this author, who is anonymous, which is always interesting, but he uh, wrote on the Flight 93 election, essentially, America is at a cliff. I mean, we are on a cliff. We're at the edge. Um, you know, we just... Uh, and he basically gets around to saying our country has been on the wrong path for so long. And if Hillary gets elected, you know, we're going to go over the cliff. We're going to we're going to crash in the field. And so no matter what else you think about anything, you've just got he's talking in part to the never Trumpers. But it is a 13 page, extremely intellectual thing in great part, hitting on the idea that standing alone, you cannot continue the immigration policies we presently have continued where to use his words. He says we must cease the we must end the ceaseless importation of third world foreigners who have no tradition, taste of experience um, or interest in liberty. We have to, you know, we have we can't keep bringing people here who are going to vote away the liberty that we are born with. And so this is Mr. Flight 93. And then a lot of conservatives who are or some conservatives who are high, you know, who are um Frequent pundits, well-known pundits, uh, responded. One being Jonah Goldberg, and he came back. He's a Never Trumper, and said, "Absolutely not. This isn't Flight 93. We can survive four more years of Hillary. We can survive eight years of Hillary. Just kind of America's not as at the precipice as this guy is claiming." So, here's my question to starting with Jenny: Is this a Flight 93 election? It was not my idea to go first, but (laughs) (laughs) but since I have to, I will say one thing. I say, "Let's roll," and I say, "Let's roll with Donald Trump." We are at a point right now where we don't have new markets coming into the United States. I mean, let's look at what's been happening over the last generation where we've had liberal control. We haven't succeeded where we should. We have been losing the battle in foreign policy. We have created we have allowed ISIS to come along and terrorize the entire world. We don't even understand that gender neutral isn't always okay. You know, I mean, where where are our values? Where are those core values that our founding father father set for us? We are now at this point where we're losing our identity, we're losing our economic edge, and education is going to come into play. We we've got to change the direction now. Okay, sister. Yeah, Dorinda Randall. I I, I, you know the thing is is I've had a change of heart when it comes to Trump. And and the thing is, is if you've seen some of the uh, last few press conferences that he's had where he talks about the military or talks about the economy or immigration, he talks about real substantive issues and he's getting to the core of who we used to be. And he's not living in la-la land. And, and instead of the media focusing on the content of his words in these these press conferences that he's having or these uh, speeches that he's doing, they're they're concentrating on the one-offs that he does with the juvenile things that he has done a few times. But I'm tired of you focusing on those words, and you're not focusing on her actions. Her actions have put us in danger with pay-for-play for Benghazi. Those type of things are something that could really hurt our country. And I'm a mother of a soldier, and I, there is no way— that I would vote for a woman or condone a, somebody voting for her 
when we've seen what she did with Benghazi, we we know what she'll do with our military, and I am not okay with that. So it is a Flight 93 it election. It is a Flight 93. I, I, I'll just tell you. No Here, I, yeah. Here's two things, quick thoughts I had. You know, on the one hand, this idea that people keep saying, you know, if Hillary wins, America's over, we'll never get it back. I will always challenge that idea because I ultimately think that the ideas that formed America are consistent with a human heart. People want liberty. But... So, so I, I think ultimately you can get it back. But the question is, so I don't think it's it, like, that, like we're dead as a country if she wins. But I will say the damage inflicted on all the issues Jenny was pointing to, the damage inflicted on foreign policy would be great. And pulling ourselves back to where we're supposed to be, if we have to put up with four more or eight more years of her, that is that is going to be extremely challenging. We only have 10 seconds here. Well, okay. uh, but anyway, <laughs> okay. well, well, yeah, I, after, do think, I do think we're at Flight 93 because of the fact of the infiltration of the illegal immigration issue and the okay. way that they are putting them into the voter box. Oh, they are. They are for sure. Okay. You know what? This is, we'll have to come back to this after this um, segment ends. I, I do, I, I think there's a, a right idea that America, I would never want to admit defeat. We're always, it's going to come back, but at what price of, of suffering, bloodshed to get it back to where it's supposed to be. So uh, she needs to be defeated this time. So yes, I'm going to say yes, it's a flight 93. Get Donald Trump in there. Here we go after our break. And welcome back. I hate to interrupt Ray Charles. That's one of the best songs ever. This is Debbie Georgiatis and America Can We Talk on my second hour roundtable. Ladies are here. I have Jenny McGarry and Drinda Randall. And, you know, uh, there was a clip that I want to have you uh, hear. Here, listen to for just a moment. And this is Hillary Clinton speaking this past Friday, referring to about half of the Donald Trump voters. So are we ready with that clip? You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. Okay, and while we're at it, I'll just point out that that's Hillary, who just, this is what she is, how she's describing a huge segment of America. As long as we're at it, I'm going to play Bill Clinton, too, because he uh, chimed in on a similar note just a uh, couple days earlier. Yeah, I'll give you America great again, is if you're a white Southerner, you know exactly what it means, don't you? <laughs> what it means is, I give you the economy you had 50 years ago. And I'll move you back up on the social totem pole and other people down. Okay, folks, I can't even stand it. And actually, you know what? I, I'm going to put a pause here and not do the other segment for a little while. But I want to tell you this thing about what, and then you guys can react to. This, we talk about, it's 9-11. Everyone's recognizing America's not as unified as we used to be. After 9-11, everyone came together and said, you know, we put flags out. We all knew we loved our country. And people are lamenting that 15 years later, here we are, we have, admittedly, on both sides are all around the aisles, people acknowledge America is very divided, not unified. And this, what you just heard, this is Hillary Clinton using the tactic that she and the American left use so often to say, if you don't agree with their policy on anything, they'll find an evil label for you. 
You can't just disagree on immigration policy. You can't disagree on refugee policy. You can't disagree on marriage. You can't have an opinion on marriage that doesn't meet the liberal test. You can't have any opinion that does not agree with Hillary and the left without being called all the names she just listed off. Racist, xenophobic, hateful. And this, my friends, is why America is divided. Because so many Americans are sick of being called names by the American left. Sick of being called names by Hillary Clinton and her doddering husband who is blathering away about trying to imply that make America great, which was a great slogan. It's, it's, it's captures what everyone's worried about in this country, that America's greatness is falling apart. But what they do to bolster Hillary's campaign is to call everyone who might support Donald Trump, as she said, as people who belong in the basket of deplorables, racist, sexist, xenophobic, homophobic. So did you, I'm, I'm just so offended by that, and I wish most of America would just shut her down for those kind of remarks. But will you guys take it away? I don't well, know. the thing that the thing that uh, I think about is I think about uh, Joe Biden whenever he said they'll put you back in chains. Oh, <gasps> I forgot Remember? about that. I mean, I it, forgot. It's, yeah, it was right. it's the same type of wording when he said back up on the social totem pole and then you know joe biden says that but also when she talks about you know all of these isms that we supposedly are which i didn't know i was such a monster until the liberals <laughs> I know, tell me that i, I know can't. i know i know where's your value yeah i know <laughs> but the thing is is that this is the same woman that was endorsed by the communist party and she has done nothing to denounce that and those guys actually were part of the nazi regime i mean that's that's where their thinking is, but she doesn't do anything to address that. Well, we all know that on Saturday she tried to walk it back a little bit and said she was sorry that she spoke in generalizations. Well, you know, the generalization she's talking about is 50% of the American people. If we look at the polling, that's what she's saying. 50% of the American people, 50% of the people that go out and vote and work every day and put food on the table for their families and are trying to struggle to get through this life, they are the deplorables. That is what she is saying. That we, the people, the working people of America, are the deplorables. And something needs to be done about this. This woman is not qualified to be president for all the people of America. And, you know, even her comment about 9-11, uh, we had earlier on Congressman Hoekstra, who was talking about it being such a day of trying to bring Americans together. Donald Trump had a lovely statement out about the, you know, very tender, very concerned about the people of America and and um, and wanting to bring people together in a time of remembrance. Just, just very warm. And he speaks about wanting to unify. But you can't, if you're on the Hillary Clinton side of things, you can't unify America. Mm-mm. No. What's no. to unify around? I'd like you all to agree that you are just worthless, low-life, hateful people. And uh, and so, I mean, who could unify? There's nothing to unify around about her. This is the ugliest kind of language out of a presidential candidate. And really what's so troublesome is, I think, that she, what she does when she talks to black audiences, she's telling black Americans, look, you may not realize it, but I'm an insider. I know that because Donald Trump isn't saying anything racist. He's not proposing anything mm-hmm. racist. He's talking about America. So she is engaging in the most evil, insidious effort to plant the seed in the thought of black Americans that you may not realize it. 
You may think that he's just got different political views than I do, but I'm telling you the inside scoop. He's it's really evil and racist and homophobic and xenophobic and all her words. This is an effort to pull Americans apart to make black Americans and low-income Americans assume that the rest of the world's out to get that it could not be more evil. I, I hope that uh, black churches that uh, Trump went and spoke at this Sunday, I hope that they they said something about this. Uh, yes, I agree. And I mean, just more than that, she's trying to divide everyone. She's trying to divide women from to. from the rest of the population. She's trying to say that one side is better than the other, which we've never heard that. We've never heard that from Trump saying that one person is better than another because of their gender or the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. But that's so, what she's saying. Okay, there's actually another interesting piece of this. So um, you hear Bill Clinton out on the campaign trail for Hillary, and he's mocking this Make America Great slogan. And he's he's trying to tell people the same thing as Hillary doing. What he really means is, what Donald Trump really means is something evil and sinister. But listen to this, what Bill Clinton, these are this Bill Clinton using those words a, a little different way. We have that last little clip. I believe that together we can make America great again. To secure a better future for your children and your grandchildren and to make America great again. It's time for another comeback. Time to make America great again. Okay. When Bill Clinton said exactly those words in his own campaign, that's from 92, 96, and then third from 2008, he's used that expression, make America great again. Somehow, when he uses it, it's okay because he's a leftist. And so, but the idea, I mean, I'm just pointing this out to say the insidious nature of what this entire campaign is about is trying to pit. I mean, the words are just, they don't even capture the depth of evil to it pit Americans against each other, cause groups of all kinds of Americans to think that other groups of Americans don't like them, don't trust them. Jenny mentioned a minute ago about it's, it's not just it's not just black Americans. The other big another big issue is Hispanic Americans yes. trying to feel like you can't talk about immigration policy because anything you say that Hillary doesn't like or doesn't agree with. Clearly, you are you're anti-Hispanic, you're anti-immigrant. Well, and. And you know, this being September 11th and uh, tomorrow being September the 12th, the one thing that I loved was September the 12th. We were all Americans and we all loved each other and we cared about what we were going through during our time of loss. And um, but the left couldn't handle how popular George Bush was at that point. (laughs) So they had to completely start dividing us again. And that's what was sad is that I remember whenever George Bush spoke at the memorial service and looking over at Hillary and she was rolling her eyes and she was acting like a buffoon. But the thing is, is that the left has to take us and they have to put us in these blocks because divided we will fall. United we will stand, which we did after September 11th. We stood for a very long time together. We were arm in arm. We were Americans again. But then they had to put us black against white, women women against men, white. You know, everything had to be divided because we're easier to squash when we're in our little buckets. Absolutely, absolutely true. And and I just I, the thing that. I think about is on September 12th that there was a, a, a factory where where we were living that made flags. There was a line around the block mm-hmm. in order to get a flag because they'd run out of them. This is on September 12th. And and on September 13th, I remember we had heard that they had more, they had created more. And my husband waited in line for 30 minutes to wow. get an American flag. Mm-hmm. And today yeah. we have a nation where you have NFL players mm-hmm. and, and other athletes that show disrespect on September 11th for that same flag that we waited in line for. 
that yeah. that is just this is what the policies of the American left have done to our country. We're no longer about America is great. We're just one group has to be greater than the other. Yeah. I got to tell you, this is part of why I love in this show. This show, America Can We Talk, I always try to get back to the idea that the only way we can unify is around the ideas of America and that every generation, I mean, we're a country birthed entirely on liberty, born in liberty established to these precious ideas in our declaration, our constitution, and they are the constitution and declaration. It's colorblind, it's ethnicity blind, it's not even a Democrat or Republican document, but it's about the ideas of liberty. And that's the only way to unite, to get back to the roots of what America is. So, um, yeah, I, I really think, I really hope Hillary hurt herself a little bit with that comment. So come back after the break and we'll talk about Trump's military speech. Okay, we all are trying to sing along with Ray Charles. Just love, love, love this music. And love America. This is Debbie George Addis, America Can We Talk? My uh, second hour roundtable, Jenny McGarry and Drinda Randall are here. You know, I want to, um, I do want to honor 9-11 today. And we did talk in various ways about 9-11. But, um, you know, it, it was a horrible attack on America. Congressman Hoekstra was very um, eloquent and very respectful about the idea that, you know, on 9-11, we should step back from politics and and not be in the bitter battle politics always is. And I, I do respect that. I, I have to say, I have a once a week show and I have about 150 <laughs> topics and only two hours. And so um, I have a hard time taking a whole break of two hour break from politics. Um, but I do, I want to be sure to be completely respectful of just everyone involved. In fact, um, you know, there were events around the country that you saw postings on Facebook. They're just so sweet and tender, whether they're families or, or the first responders being honored. They're just it's lovely things. Okay, so I, I'm, anyway, the, the 9-11 little thing, everyone is like when John F. Kennedy was killed. If you're old enough to have been alive at that point, you remember where you were when you heard that? And you remember what where you were when you realized what happened on 9-11? So it was, it was country changing. And it is incumbent on these people who are running to be president to decide they to do everything they can to prevent future attacks. And, and really, it's going to be incumbent on the voters to, to decide who between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are um, is best suited. Well, I want to hit a quick thing. We're going to talk about Donald Trump gave a great military speech recently. And uh, Dorinda's going to hit that in a moment. But I was going to uh, mention that earlier today on 9-11, um, there was a memorial service in New York at the 9-11 um, site. And... Um, Donald Trump was there and Hillary Clinton was there and they both agreed to stay off politics. Uh, but Hillary had another one of her health episodes. And I want to bring up for a couple of reasons. What happened was it was it was only 82 degrees. It wasn't hot out. Uh, I mean, we live in Texas. I can tell you about hot and that's not hot. That's She's practically Arkansas. That's, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's practically like falls coming was 82. But she it, she had she had to leave uh, before it was over. She had to leave in the middle and she was caught on video camera being escorted to her van. She had someone holding her arm, and then she literally, her head bobbed, and she stumbled and fell, and they had to more or less lift her into the van. So she had some health episode. The story quickly was, she said was, they took her over to Chelsea's apartment. Her daughter lives in New York, and she got refreshed, and she came out an hour later, I think it was, and waved to the crowds. Oh, we just got a little little uh, over overheated, a little overheated. <laughs> okay, it's only 82. Um, right. A little overheated, I'm fine. And then went back 
to her home, did not go back to the celebration, went to her home in Chappaqua, and her doctor came over and issued a statement later saying essentially that Hillary has pneumonia and had been told she had pneumonia and had been told to lay low and she's not doing it. So there's a lot of ways to go on that. But I will say, I think that the core thing is that I just feel like we always get lied to by the right. yes. people. I mean, where were we a week ago when, when when everybody was all over us and CNN was going on and on about the whole, why are we talking about her coughing? And and if we even question her health, we're healthers now. So, um, you know, <laughs> and a name my, call. Uh, yes, absolutely. And so if she had pneumonia and she was coughing due to the pneumonia and her doctor also, by the way, they, they said her doctor says she's fine. So. Who's lying? Was she fine or she wasn't fine? Was she fine fine or was she not fine? And has she had pneumonia all year? I counted. I know at least of 13 incidences in 2016 where she had a coughing fit meltdown during a, I mean, where she really couldn't continue her speech. One was on her uh, plane she's flying around on where she let the reporters, she actually let them come talk to her and she had to break up because she couldn't stop coughing. So she's had pneumonia since January? I mean, passing out, you know, I mean... Is that because of heat exhaustion, as she said, or overheated? I'm sorry. I must say those words correctly because I want to be accurate. Being overheated, as she said, or was it pneumonia? Which is it? I like your uh, your vocabulary word for today. The new one. Oh, there's roar back, a defamatory falsehood, that one? No, the other one. Okay, Power wait, wait, wait. I have a pile here. We love vocabulary on the show. <laughs> sorry, I can't find the right one. Oh, oh audacious. Yes. Audacious, having a huge appetite, ravenous, excessively eager, and can you use it in a sentence? I can. Hillary <laughs> Hillary Clinton is so audacious with power to that she will be sick with whatever disease she may have, that she wants to be president so bad that she audaciously seeks the power. There you go. E-D-A-C-I-O-U-S, a new word. Use it for your, if you're a student, lose it in school tomorrow. Use it at the dinner table. Shock your family. Audacious <laughs> is having, is being excessively eager. And I couldn't agree more on this. I really think, you know, if she were, and I don't want, I don't wish ill on anyone. I actually, I, I don't want anyone no. anyone to be you ill. You just be honest about it. Yeah. Be honest. And honestly, what I want Hillary Clinton, I want her political ideas crushed into oblivion on election day. Right. I want her ideas rejected and she can go back and do whatever she does in her private life and just get out of the the business of trying to run America. That's what, But I don't wish her ill. I, I wish her health. But I do think this has been, you know, the number of coughing fits and also her schedule. I mean, literally, she... She's I mean, Donald Trump more is than most people in America. Uh, yeah, and, and you know she's running for president. Trump is like the Energizer Bunny; he never stops. Exactly, and, and she's taking three and four day breaks and going to a fundraiser. So, well, th- and if the roles were reversed, it was if it was him that was taking this time off, or if if it was him that was coughing like a maniac. The media would be all, all over it. it. Yes. Oh, and yeah. They just keep, they, you know, move on. Nothing to see here. Okay. Well, I'm going to turn. We still have like four minutes in a second, which is really good. I want to talk about uh, Donald Trump's military speech. And in part why I do is that I think, as I said at the start of the show, I think it's going to be one of the major themes that the media and Hillary will hit on over and over. She's trying to say, I'm the stable one. I'm the experienced one. I ha- I'm better for um, foreign policy because I've served in as a senator or Secretary of State, and so I'm just, I'm prepared, and he's not, and foreign policy is a big deal these days. And we were talking about that with Congressman Hoekstra, and I will say, I didn't uh, get off on the values thing as much as I um, will at this moment, but, you know, you could have had all the jobs in the world. You could have been every job at the State Department. You could have been in all sorts of positions, 
if you don't have the notion of the rightness and the unique rightness of America, the unique exceptional nature of America, the role America needs to play in the world and standing for liberty and standing for the ideas that are they're just justice and higher ideas than many other societies have, you're not really equipped to be commander in chief. Mm-hmm. The idea of the surrender to Iran, the, the, the entire negotiation, it wasn't a negotiation. It was a 100% surrender to Iran, enabling, not just preventing them from getting nuclear weapons. It wasn't just that they didn't prevent it. They enabled nuclear weapons. And then, by the way, sent them $1.7 billion, with a B, dollars. And surely they will spend that on improving roads and bridges and, you know, uh, building course, homeless shelters. Clearly, they're yeah. going you know, they, to spend it what they spend money on, which is inflicting evil and pain on other people. And, and if you're OK with that, I'm, I'm not OK with you as commander in chief. Right. Well, for me, I and I know that I, I am not alone because most of us Americans are scared to death of what is going on with ISIS. And we are scared to death of the terrorist attacks that we've had here with Orlando and in California and and in Boston. And, you know, the left keeps ignoring it and wants to, they're so busy calling names that actually Donald Trump is being able to be presidential. And his military speech was awesome. He talked about peace through strength, which we've heard that before, and that was awesome. But the one thing that he talked about was the he addressed how badly our military has been cut he didn't just say, you know, we're at the lowest level since World War II, which you hear that a lot from all these politicians. He actually went into how bad the Navy is right now and how how, how low depleted. their numbers are, yes. how depleted they are, what their ship numbers are. Whenever uh, Reagan was president, the Navy had 592 ships. Um, when Barack Obama took over, and, and right now we have 276 ships. He uh, took over and he was at 285. He got it. He said his end goal is to get to 250. Um, we have aircraft that is 27 years old. We have, uh, when it comes to our troops for the Army, in 2009, we had 553,000. Today, we have 479,000. And Barack Obama wants to take that down to 450,000. We have 182. Uh, troops for uh, the Marines, 182,000. The sequesterer, uh, the one thing that I love that Donald Trump talked about was he talked about the sequesterer for the defense is going to end. And the thing that I didn't realize is, you know, when you hear uh, when you hear the left talk about the sequester and that the defense was that they took half the cuts and they're only one sixth of our budget. And that was surprising to me. And, and that's what I loved about this speech is it, it gave you real numbers. It gave you real definitions of what is really going on. And it's alarming. The other thing that he talked about was um, he talked about in his first 30 days, he's going to have his generals give him a plan of how to defeat ISIS. Yeah. His first 30 days. So, and the other thing that I like that Michael Flynn talked about, because he introduced, he got up and introduced uh, Donald Trump. But the thing that he talked about was, yes, we have 88 generals. And he goes, but we have hundreds coming. 
88, so, 88 military, right. big military leaders who have come out endorsing yes. Trump. you got to just think, what a snub is that to Hillary Clinton? Exactly. This is a woman who's yes. been Secretary of State for four years. She's been in the Senate. She's been First Lady. And these folks are brave, brave enough to say, you better go with Trump. Come right back, and we'll wrap up the show for tonight. Got great stuff coming ahead. America. Okay, we're going to start singing along with Ray Charles. Just love that. Love that music. So grateful he, this beautiful rendition. And actually, several points, and I played several of the Ray Charles choices in getting ready for the show today. And um, it's amazing because some of them he throws in, you know, Sweet Jesus and Thank You, God. I mean, he just throws in these, he just beautifully blends his love of America with his love of, of Christianity, love of God. It's just a beautiful thing. So this is Debbie George Addis, and we are in our final segment of our uh, extremely short two hours on America Can We Talk every Sunday night. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, which is a company here in Dallas called GC Works. They are they they are in Dallas, and they perform research in advanced technology and deliver innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. GC Works, can't thank them enough for sponsoring this show. Okay, in this final segment, I want to hit on um, a couple quick things. One is on the military. Uh, Dorinda did a great job summarizing uh, Donald Trump's military speech. I think it was really, we were talking about in the break, and we have a couple of stories to get to, so I just want to say this quickly, but I think for Americans who watch what seems like a weak and... and um, just not a sufficient defense against ISIS and not a sufficient fight on behalf of America. Um, we love our troops. We love our soldiers. But the leadership at the top, we've had Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in the show many times. He's coming on again in a few weeks. Uh, talk about things like, you know, we have ridiculous rules of engagement in place. We have ridiculous limitations on the power of the military. Donald Trump just making a statement to say, we need to fix our military. It's diminished in power and capacity. He just, I think that was music to people's ears, say, yes, we're supposed to have a strong military. And Hillary takes comments like Donald Trump makes about the military and tries to turn them into saying, well, I know our soldiers. I visit them in different places, and they're great. That's not what Trump is saying. He loves the military individuals, the men. He's talking about getting policy right at the stop, at the top so we have a strong military to actually win against ISIS. I love also he talked about defeating ISIS, not just contain it as like the best, you know, Obama could talk about for most of the time was just contain it. No, actual destruction. We cannot have. I mean, how long in world history are we going to let ISIS run, run, run on a rampage without just shutting it down. So I was really grateful for that. Okay, we're, I want to quick turn and tell you this really sweet story that ties into national defense. And Jenny is going to chime in just a moment about this. But the basic thing is here in, in Dallas, Texas, there's a gentleman um, named Alan Clark, Alan B. Clark, and he's a, he served in Vietnam. And um, he's just been, uh, and he, in the course of his service in Vietnam, both uh, lost both of his legs. Um, and he came back and after a lot of uh, obviously, a lot of military, uh, medical attention and, and work. He now he's got two prosthetic legs. He walks, and he is the most astonishing advocate for America. He holds all sorts of events. You know, brings military people in, honors everyone in this area who served the military, and is honors people who uh, do good things for America. So he's just he's a very noble man. And um, so he served in Vietnam, and a recent thing that he went to. 
kind of brought his military service kind of roundabout. Uh, he went to a, um, a an event in, in honor of a commissioner, a Tarrant County commissioner named Andy Wynn, who happens, Jenny McGarry, who is here tonight at one of our roundtable ladies, uh, was right there at that event. She worked for Andy Wynn. So I want to let her tell you about that. Well, um, the thing is, is that the event that uh, Andy Wynn put together brought about a lot of people in the area. A lot of them were uh, uh, had gone through the refugee process from Vietnam out following the war and during the war and had really pursued the American dream and had become successful embracing all the wonderful things of America. Annually, um, Mr. Wynn likes to uh, put together a fundraiser, but talk about what's important to him, which is the American dream. And it's all about celebrating it. Um, he had approached um, Mr. Clark to speak at the event. And um, I had read this this blog post not long ago. But uh, I didn't know that uh, initially that Debbie had also read it and other people had read it. Apparently, this is something that has it's been approached by different angles. It was he Alan Clark went to this event. He was the first person to arrive and the last person to leave. He spoke to everybody. He was such a gentleman. And uh, apparently the event really, really touched him. And he felt that it was a full circle of when he had served in the military, the sacrifices he went through, and wow. how it affected other people's freedoms and their embrace of liberty and coming to America and making more of the American dream and becoming wonderful citizens of our country. Mm-hmm. And for him, it all went full circle from what I understand from reading. And um, I'll tell you, um, Andy Wynn, he's a Tarrant County commissioner. He is the real deal. He is a conservative. He is a family man. He is a successful businessman. And for um, Mr. Clark, I think to have seen that his efforts and his sacrifice and his time in the military equaled to someone like Andy Wynn and his wife, Julie. Mm. Yeah, and you know, part of what he talked about in this blog post, which no one's going to blubber, no blubbering, you guys, no crying, okay, uh, was he talked about the boat people. And, you know, by the time uh, Alan Clark, he was already back in America when this whole boat people thing started. And he realized at that evening, at this time he spoke, that Andy and his wife both were Vietnamese boat people. I mean, came here on boats and got to America, became citizens. I mean, the whole American dream thing could just about melt your heart. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we talk about military service, and in this country, I think everyone's feeling a little bit war-weary, and we can't, we don't really want to have to fight again on the ground uh, in the Middle East, but we've got to figure out a strategy against ISIS. And um, and so there's a lot of conflict about that. And so, and, and war is, you know, ugly. It should be the last resort. We don't do, engage in it lightly, but really what this story why it so touched all of us is, you know, we're on this day, we're honoring um, 9-11 and everyone who suffered then. And, you know, we got into wars after that or uh, to, to try to push back the enemy to say, you know, you know you're not going to um, you're not going to do that to us. You know, we're, we're America. We're going to be strong. And, you know, the Vietnam era was very tough. A lot of the people came back from Vietnam. The soldiers came back and found a pretty unwelcoming public, a lot of condemnation. And and he may have experienced that, too. I don't know if Alan Clark did. But, you know, the idea of, of fighting on behalf of America for the right reasons 
was so rewarding. It was, so, it was rewarding for him to meet Andy and his wife, Julie. And, and, and the subject of the whole uh, battle, you know, we don't know the end of the story yet, how we're ever going to finally defeat ISIS. But we, we have to assert for the future of liberty that they must be actually defeated. Mm-hmm. We can't have eternal ISIS growing uh, and, and working to continue to be contained in the Middle East. So it's going to take more battles and more sacrifice. And, and it's, it's a hard, hard thing. But, um, you know, we don't have liberty anywhere if we're not willing to fight for it. And with the uh, immigration to America and the refugees coming here, if we don't hold on to what our country is and hold on to our standard of liberty and, and say, you know, you can come here, but you have to become American. You have to embrace what we are. Um, we've got to do that. And that is our, that's our battle of the times is to, um, to understand all the right ways to handle Islamic immigration, aggression. Okay. One last story, cause it is nine 11, uh, anniversary tonight. And just, I had not read this story in all these years since nine 11, but I read this story. And, um, as I said, no, uh, I honestly can make you teary, <laughs> but there's a woman, a, a woman named Lieutenant Heather Penny, who has a kind of funny nickname is Lucky, like Lucky Penny, but Lieutenant Heather Penny, I'd never heard this story, but on 9-11 in 2001, she was a pilot. She was a pilot in the National Guard, in the Air National Guard. She was at the orders of her commander in her plane on the runway in, um, in her F-16, engine running, hand on the throttle, and what she had been told she was to do was to take off in that plane and essentially collide, crash, land, kamikaze into Flight 93. And she was willing to do it. She was willing to do that. I mean, I, I just find that a breathtaking uh, bravery and, and sacrifice. And, you know, she woke up that day like everybody else, going to work, whatever she's going to do. To be told, you know what, actually get in your plane and we may have, you may have to kamikaze and you're going to die, but you're going to stop this Flight 93 from hitting whatever was going to be the White House or the Capitol. And she was, I mean, she was interviewed in the Washington Post. She was willing to do it. I mean, don't you just find that just staggering? <laughs> well, and, and wasn't, she was thinking that one of the, the pilots of one of the aircraft could have been her dad. Oh, he was a pilot too. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was. He was one of them. That was he. His his her father was a pilot, and she couldn't reach him. And they didn't know if he was flying maybe uh, ninety three. So that was that's also another caveat to the whole thing is that that's how touching it all is. Wow, crazy! Amazing. Yeah, it really brings it home. And 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 just to know that our military has to make that decision. They have to be able to look at the good of the entire country and not just what helps them personally to, to have to to be able to commit to a commander in chief that knows what the bejesus they're doing. <laughs> I know. And this is why this number of 88 yeah. and I'm telling you this list, I'll post it on the America Coming Talk Facebook page. This list of 88 actually senior military officers and now. Well, and Hillary is saying that she has 100, but his are 88 active generals oh they're active so, I they so were some t- of them are active a majority of them are active and then and then what michael flynn said is there's more coming and, and i just have to say yeah. it's so refreshing to finally hear a pro-military speech right period exactly pro-military speech that says mm-hmm. we want to protect america we, we keep hearing oh we have to trust everybody we don't need to worry about protecting because we're going to become global no 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 we need to protect america and our borders and you're islamic 
claustrophobic if you decide that that's uh, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm 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 in that basket of deplorables, I guess. Even though I am, okay. even though well, I am what? a minority. <laughs> You also really find it that basket of deplorables. Someone's got to work on that during the Trump campaign to come up with something about that because it really is. I mean, it's it's a funny term as you can make jokes about it, but it is such an offensive way of, and it just it is so eye-opening and revealing about who and what Hillary is, how she sees the world politically is, you agree with us on everything or else there's a label that belongs to you and you're to be, and she, in fact, she used it in a different speech and spoke about the idea that these people are irredeemable. They can't, oh, yeah. their thought can't be fixed. So, Intolerable. kind of creepy. Folks, we're about out of time. This is Debbie Georgiatis and Dorinda Randall and Jenny McGarry on America Can We Talk. I thank you for tuning in. We've got a great new website, americacanwetalk.org. I'd love to have you follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk and our Facebook pages, America Can We Talk and Ladies Can We Talk. Don't miss them. They're really great to go to. Thanks for tuning in. And remember always to speak up for America. And here at America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to americacanwetalk.org. America Can We Talk, truth about America. You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.